0: Good morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. Today is March the fourteenth, two thousand and twenty-two, and we continue today our series of LSAT Life podcasts with LSAT tutors and Facebook group members Keith Seiska in Texas and Jake Feldman in New York City. The last podcast that we did was called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective LSAT Test Takers, and today we are going to discuss the seven deadly sins insofar as they impact both your lives and therefore your LSAT performance, because as we know, as goes LSAT, so goes life. How are you today, Keith?
1: Doing well. How are you, John? I'm fine, Jake.
2: All good.
0: You know, after our last podcast and talking about this one, I realized that, you know, I'm kind of slow most days, okay? But I realized that, oh my God, we have the seven habits of finally a successful LSAT test taken. We have the seven deadly sins is there any significance to the number seven here anybody ever thought about that before uh,
2: i mean I'm, I'm sure there is if you look into you know the the wisdom of of the uh the hebrew philosophers <laughs> right all numbers had significance uh you know it was interwoven into the texts i'm sure that's true in other traditions too and the degree to which seven is important i'm 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 sure it can be borne out in various histories
0: what, what do you think, Keith? Did did that thought occur to you? Oh my God! What's common to both those seven, seven? I hadn't,
1: I hadn't really thought about it, um, but since you mentioned it, I started looking at different uh, instances of the number seven and uh, there's seven notes in a in a musical scale, and so I find that to be a interesting elegance for the for the number.
2: And there are also, you know, the the seven sages of ancient Greek philosophy was it was a, it was of significance as well. You know, they seven
1: were, wonders like, of the world,
2: seven wonders of the world. I mean, there's got, you know, and we talk about um, working memory and how working memory sort of has a oh, yeah. capacity. <laughs> Maybe seven is the limit to which you can remember a list of things. And that was sort of agreed upon in, in, in early wisdom. And they so, figured it
1: out. If it was eight yeah. wonders, people would forget one.
2: Yeah, exactly. So seven is the max, <laughs> and anybody can remember. So let's make our list seven. Yeah, I
0: mean, do you realize how much more intelligent and effective people were a long time ago? So much smarter than we are. I mean, my God, the world we live in today—unbelievable <laughs> stuff. Well, you know, Jake, you're more likely to, you know, get into the history of this. I'm more uh, a new age, I suppose, or lazy. Maybe it's the same. So I just looked it up on Google. There you go. Uh, But what we have here, this is interesting. Uh, What does the number seven mean spiritually? Completeness and perfection can only be achieved by the number seven, both physical as well as spiritual. A large part of its significance comes from its direct connection to the genesis of all things by God. Hinduism, Islam, and Judaism all plays significance on the number seven, but even more importantly and relative, relevantly, so does Elsa preparation. Agreed?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And,
0: and
1: this. Oh, geez. You know, I just learned that the seventh chakra is the crown chakra, the, uh, the pineal gland. So <laughs> that's really interesting to me. I'm sort of, a... <laughs> I have this. uh, Fascination with the uh, the kind of uh, mysticism behind the New England. Uh, well, this is
0: fascinating stuff, and uh, you know, so I, I now would have to believe that the Covey book, which we based at least our last podcast on the title. I probably was well aware of the significance of seven uh, so so we're going to talk today about seven deadly sins which are you know really uh bad things to do in life that create problems and you know would be the things that would uh you know keep you from achieving perfection i think achieving your goals and interestingly uh, thank you for this keith there are apparently corresponding virtues so i mean we can have a discussion i suppose about uh what you shouldn't do and uh perhaps some corrective measures you could take in a specific way in terms of what you should do right well in no particular order lust lust keith lust is apparently a sin <laughs> do you disagree with that? Or do you just see it as a way of life? Or a way of life that is a sin.
1: Well, <clears throat> you know, what I did as I reviewed these uh before our our recording is I tried to think about how how does this play out in a way that's poor for LSAT takers? And um the way that I I sort of imagined lust being bad for LSAT takers is that many, many Law students like uh, aspiring attorneys have tremendous passion, too much passion. I would argue they want everything right now. And uh, so when I started thinking about who is too driven by lust, I started thinking about these students who want to effectuate all this change in the industry and they haven't gotten a good LSAT score yet. Gunners who are extraordinarily competitive about their knowledge of law and haven't argued a single case yet—you know—they're in one L-torts class as if this is the the defining fact of their of their legal career. So I think this uh, this kind of excessive passion and willingness to jump steps um, is something that plagues a lot of a lot of students in law and in the Lsat as well.
2: Well, what do you think about
0: that uh, jake
2: you know i i take a slightly different turn on. i mean i think everything keith is saying is right uh when i think about lust you know the 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 initial analogy for me is the allowance of emotion to take over from reason when it comes to decision making and so in that way we can think about ways that people misstep because they react passionately they react emotionally to the to the inputs they are getting and and allow those that to color the way that they make the next choice so yeah. in a very in a very basic way right like i did a practice test i didn't do as well as i wanted to i'm angry i'm upset and i let that take me off course
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know one what, i what i would add and this was uh, an interesting thread in the group within the last few days was uh or maybe you think I'm wrong in adding it here. But, you know, this whole business of people getting just so focused on LSAT and getting into law school that, you know, they completely lose sight of whether it really is the appropriate thing for them or not, right? And you That's know, what
1: I was getting at.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, picking up on, you know, Jake's sort of, uh, I can't remember the exact words, but, you know, the, the, the dominance of the emotional at the expense of the reason, Right. Um, you know, I have seen this for years and years and years, and I often, I actually put a comment uh, up on the group, uh, one of my rare ones, actually congratulating a student for after having achieved what she wanted to achieve, actually making a conscious decision of not, you know, pursuing law, you know, et cetera.
1: Yeah, our, uh, our fellow tutor, Brad, he, he got his LSAT score and said, nah, I don't think I'll go to law school.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, these are actually, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, not allowing the the emotion, the the sin of lush, you know, to to run your run your life, right? So we see examples of this all the time, which is, you know, slow down. Uh, let's not get overwhelmed by the emotion. Let's not get overwhelmed by the. Uh, heat of the moment you know another thing i'd love to add at this point just looking at you know the LSAD study group is these people who make comments you know in the heat of passion without thinking stuff through right
2: yeah and you know i i will say you know coming coming from a, a family with psychiatry deep in it um it is totally okay to have emotional reactions about these things. You should have them and you want to have outlets for them, but the outlet is not to take it out on yourself or to take it out on the others around you. You have to find a healthy and reasonable way to process that emotion and to turn it into something positive for yourself. If you're so angry that you can't figure out what an appropriate step or a a practical step is for you, take a moment. Take a step back. Take some time to breathe and process. Don't bottle it up, but also don't let it be the driver, right? You you be the driver, let the elephant be the elephant.
0: Yeah, I think that's right and you know, if he'll get angry, and certainly, you know, I've made these mistakes in life and I regret them. I'm sure we all have, but boy, you know, when you say things uh, in anger and that, uh, they can't be taken back, right? Uh, and you know, you can do tremendous damage. So, you know, this whole uh you know, the way you're defining the lust is letting the, you know, the, the emotion overwhelm the reason. You know, we see this played out in, in so many different aspects of life, including, including, I think the whole LSAT thing. And there's a lot of unhappy people who, you know, they, they do succeed in getting into law school or whatever they're trying to do. And then, Oh my God, I mean, I'm just so unhappy here. And, and then, you know, because they're still caught in the throes of the lust, You know it's they can't divorce themselves and make the make the reason decision of oh my god i should get out of here right yeah
2: visceral decision making is never it's not that it doesn't work out sometimes sometimes it does right but you're not going to know when until you're on the other side of it so
0: that's exactly right and a reason decision you know the other thing is this that it took me a long time in life to learn that, you know, you make decisions when the answer is unclear. All right. And this, by the way, is I think an important point, you know, you get down to two answer choice, and logical reasoning, and you're having a lot of trouble distinguishing them, right? I mean, you're going to ask which is better, which am I better able to live with this sort of stuff. Right. But the thing is that at least my experience in life is you're always better able to live with a decision that was, that had a healthy input of reason as opposed to emotion, agreed? And, you know, where else we see this? I did a podcast a few days ago with the financial planners in the world of investing in financial planning. You know, is that most people are their worst enemies. Oh my God, this lust thing is huge, right? Woo! <laughs> we better stop there, okay? Or we will be at the lust forever, unless Keith has any any inclu- uh, concluding thoughts on that. or.
1: Uh, we can move on
0: oh my god i thought this might be a hard podcast to do apparently not we we are very imperfect as humans aren't we
2: well it's this stuff is central to the human experience right and if we see it as somehow other or peripheral we're missing the point right that like lsat is i mean we've talked about this endlessly in previous episodes lsat is a representation of our lives. It puts us in a high pressure situation where we have to deliver something that we are imperfect at, and it cuts at us very deeply emotionally. And we have to learn how to process that while still attempting to improve substantively in order to you know, prove well, that's exactly
0: to right. I mean, a lot works. of it, you know, there, there's,
2: you know, it's funny. I always
0: used to say to my class, it's okay, that when it comes to LSAT prep, you gotta be prepared But more importantly, you got to feel that you're prepared. Because if you're missing the ladder, the former is just not going to follow. But okay. Mm -hmm. My God, we could do a podcast on each one of these. Gluttony. Moving on to the second. (laughs) Talk to me about gluttony.
1: Well, um, I have some students come to me sometimes who want to know if I can help them set up a study schedule, you know, over Christmas break or over the summer where they're going to do eight hours a day, it's the full time studying for the LSAT. And um, I, I, I rarely see that work well. I see it work better when students are willing to spread the studies out over six months or a year and take it in smaller chunks, two hours a day, or, uh, you know, a few hours a day with some breaks on weekends. Those kind of study schedules are much more sustainable and successful. And, you know, we learn habits of cramming in, we, we learn them early in school, and then they're reinforced in college. I just had a student yesterday tell me, um, you know, I was the, uh, the like, the, the typical uh, do the uh, do the work the night before kind of college student. And now I'm paying for it. I mean, that was literally what the student told me. I did all my papers the night before and now I'm paying for it. Um, That's exactly right because you don't learn the LSAT by cramming. It's really a long drawn out process of learning skills that I have compared to learning a foreign language, you know, over and over and over again. And if you can't learn a foreign language by studying a book eight hours a day. Likewise, you can't learn the LSAT that way. You have to speak the language with fluent speakers over a long period of time, which is usually measured in months.
0: You know, at that point, you trigger another memory. I may have mentioned this in the previous podcast. I don't know, but I'll never forget this. I once walked into a class and this person in the front row said to me, you know, John, last night I dreamt about the LSAT. Well, you know, that's good, good, I guess, you know. But then she said, and you know what?
1: I dreamt that I was a character in a logic game. Ooh. Ooh. Well, which game? I'm debating whether this is good or bad.
0: No, that question. Quite experienced LSAT tutor, okay. (laughs)
1: And I don't know. I mean, I don't want to I mean, be working so with cool Becky on Tuesday. Either, that's for know. sure.
2: Yeah, that's right. But but if we're in the office switching game, I hope I I hope I got to pick first. That'd be great. Um, you know what what's <laughs> funny the 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 thing that Keith said that I think is is so critical and makes the analogy work so well is sustainability. Right, one day you can get away with six hours of studying. You might even get something out of it. Right? But the reason that gluttony is so bad for the human body, right? You can eat 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 calories in a day one time. It's not really gonna adversely affect you. You may feel like crap the next day, but you'll get over it. But if you do it repeatedly over many weeks or many months, your, gut, your body gets to the point where something's gotta change, right? Either your diet has to change or your body's gonna shut down certain parts of itself to handle what's happening. The LSAT study, you can do six hours, eight hours, once, twice, three times. But at some point, either you're not actually going to be learning anything because you're not actually consuming the things you're looking at, in which case you're wasting your time, or your brain will start to shut down. You'll start to reject the work because you're not actually achieving the things you want to be achieving given the volume of work you're doing. And after a certain time, you get, you know, what we commonly call burnout. And then suddenly you can't do anything anymore. Nothing's working. You can't even study an hour a day before you get so deeply frustrated five minutes in that you throw it all away. So you're harming yourself long-term. Even if in the short term you can get away with it for a little while, it will catch up with you and it will be harmful.
0: Yeah. You know, again, thinking back, uh, and I've heard comments thousands of times like, well, you know i'm gonna i'm gonna study lsat six or eight hours a day i mean i, I can hardly even believe that i hear this i mean i think it's so i think it can be so destructive but from a practical point of view um you know this is direct advice to those of you appearing for the lsat i i used to have this expression where i'd say "At uh, two hours in the morning is generally equivalent to four hours in the evening Right. You know, if you're the, if you're the type of person who works on a cycle of getting up early and, you know, etc. cetera. So I think there's not only the quantity, there's of course the quality, but the way you get the quality is by, you know, I think paying some attention to the time of day you do this stuff. I mean, I think most people, you know, they worry about, you know, they don't practice, they don't prepare enough. I, I really believe that most people, if you could do this. You can get up at five in the morning and just do a couple hours starting every day. I mean, I think you could say to yourself, oh, my God, I've done that. That's the equivalent of somebody who starts in the evening and does six hours. I, I At least that's my experience. I mean, I'd love to get your comments on that because, I mean, I, I appreciate that somebody might understand that to be advice.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. I think it is deeply personal and it has everything to do with you, your life, your family, your your chemistry, your whatever, right? I'm, I've am i become in my adulthood a relative morning person. And when I can drag my lazy carcass out of bed at 6.30 in the morning and I get an hour to myself in the house before the, the kids are asking for breakfast. Yeah, just give yourself hour, another
0: 20 years. It'll be 4 a.m. and you'll be happy with it.
2: <laughs> but but it, at, 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 in that hour, I can get so much more done than I can in the hours 8 p.m. to 9 p.m so much more done um but that's me and if you are a college student whose schedule is 11 a.m to 2 a.m waking up at six is not a good idea you shouldn't do that you should do something uh, you, need, you
0: need you need to get on a schedule I, th- I think we may have talked about this um yeah i i have really found that uh that this is a very a very important thing for people, you know, because it's a time of day when you can, you know, literally. I mean, there's just so this isn't the same competition, you know, for your attention. I, I would also add. I mean, you know, I was doing this in an era before, uh, you know, there was text messaging and all these things that you know apparently require instant responses. I, I really think that when people worry about LSAT, I think they need to get rid of all of these other things and just say, you know, this is. You know, this is my time, you know. To...
2: I mean, we generally have to do that, right? Put your phone away at night when you're trying to sleep. If you want to sleep well, put your phone away. Put your TV away, right? Blue light is bad for you. You know, it's, it's interesting in, in thinking about the seven virtues, the opposite of gluttony is temperance, right? It's about moderating what you do. It's about having another level, a meta level of looking down at your own work and saying, hey... I need to back off a little bit here right it's it's self-reflective i think that's really important uh, that's exactly
0: right that's exactly right you know moderation and, and i'm going to give uh, one other piece of, of life advice okay uh, is over the years i have you know gradually reached the point where i think that that alcohol consumption cigarette you know these things are, are you know just the worst things you can do for yourself a lot of you a lot of people are you know, they're obviously everybody's concerned with money and finances and stuff like that. But here's a, here's a quick tip, you know, for how to keep yourself financially in good shape. Don't smoke, drink, and never buy a new car. Now, if you do those three things, you are pointing in the right direction.
2: Mm-hmm. You'll be the million. No
0: fun fans. at all.
2: And invest in a Roth <laughs> IRA right <laughs> Says first. Keith, who just bought a brand new Bronco. And uh <laughs> you hey, brew your you own did, beer, did, Keith? You did.
0: want to be you want to be tutoring elsa the rest of your life yes okay all right
2: right. (laughs) what's up next greed Uh, talk to us about
1: greed greed is like the pinnacle of law right go watch uh devil's advocate or something all lawyers are greedy greedy bastards But uh, there's a lot of truth to it, that people go into the profession because they want to compete and they want to win and they want the most of whatever scorecards we're keeping. And that's a big driver for lawyers winning. It's not always greed for wealth, although it often is, but that's just the way we measure success in law. So it's a, it's a, a greed to win, I think, is very toxic in law.
0: I think, think it's toxic in education too. Getting a one eighty
1: huh. all set, or just simply being greedy. No, Trying to get a one eighty think... is greedy. No, Do you think no I don't think that's
2: no, a little, bit, that's a little it. bit. I don't think the greed manifests in wanting the one. I think it's fine to set yourself a high goal. I think the greed manifests when you want the one eighty at the expense of all the other guys.
1: Right. I think it if is so, a little uh... bit greed though. When yeah. you have a, you know when you have an adequate score to accomplish your goals and you still want to take the LSAT again to get a better score, at that point, I think there is a certain level of of just sheer competitiveness that is perhaps a little unhealthy. And you know, that's how I felt.
0: It's interesting. Uh, there was actually a, a thread yesterday on this, and uh I, I actually thought it was very interesting because it was somebody who had clearly scored high enough to get into law school and clearly had scored, you know, within the range of the practice tests, right? You know, suggesting that, you know, um, better than an even chance that that score was indicative of the person's LSAT score or LSAT ability, at least currently, right? You know, without getting into a, you know, a bunch of extra practice. And what was interesting was the discussion was, well, should I go and do it again? And uh, Obviously, uh, who knows the answer, but uh, I think it's worth cautioning these people that once they get a a fairly high score, it is possible to go down, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) I always tell people, I I always tell people, you know, I I read your comment, which is a good one, right? You have an LSAT score range, right? A practice test score range. And if you've scored within that score range, it means it's indicative of your training, right? You've done what you practiced to do. but there is a possibility that you're going to exist somewhere in that range. And I usually tell them, like, look at the last five practice tests you've done. That's yeah. probably your range, right? If you've scored in the middle of that, thinking that somehow magically you're going to end up on the top end of that range the next time you do it because you're just going to try harder, that's you're you're fooling yourself. That's a that's a, not a, a healthy way of thinking about. This. Thank
0: you very much for saying that, Jake. Thank you very welcome. much. Because you're very Welcome. I think that is very good advice. And I've got to tell you that if I were trying to make a living as an LSAT tutor, I don't know if I would have put the comment up that I did, you know. Sure. Uh, you know, I mean, I was just I was just being honest because I've seen this so many times, um, you know, largely because um, I think there's sort of an assumption in the world of LSAT prep that you have nowhere to go but up you know, unless you, uh, you know, unless you uh, start from a very high score. And, and I think all three of us know that that is, uh, well, simply not the case. Agreed?
1: It is not yeah, the case. absolutely. It is and not the, the
0: other case. problem, you know, so, I mean, the, the going down is one issue, but I also am of the opinion and I, I will qualify this by saying that this is my personal opinion. Nevertheless, most of my opinions are informed, you know, a lot of observation <laughs> of this. Okay that if you get the same score, you've just reinforced that same score, right? So the only benefit to the retake is if you're damn sure you're gonna go up. And and that's gonna require, you know, figuring out exactly what you need, a lot of preparation. And advice that I've given over the years is go down that road. But if a day or two before, you know, your next scheduled test, if you honestly do not feel That you've made a significant change in your test your lsat test taking ability i'd probably leave well enough alone
2: yeah yeah for sure um one one other thing to talk about with greed before we move on just because you know we're talking about these virtues right the opposite of greed is charity right so if we're thinking about what we mean by greed if, if you are studying in such a way that are, you are not being charitable to those around you, you are not being supportive, it means you're probably not getting as much out of your studying as you can. You can't study in isolation. It can't be all for you, right? If you can create a community around you in which you are engaging, not just tutors, right, but other students whom you are helping, whom you are supporting, guess what? You're gonna get as much out of that relationship as you will out of the relationships with with the tutors where you believe the flow of information is all toward you because the truth is that it's that teaching modality right when you are attempting to explain it when you uncover the real needs that you have be charitable with others and that flow is going to come back to you in 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 in, in, with a multiplier on it
0: yeah I, i mean i agree with you on that you know completely i mean as a general principle of life I mean, I really do believe this. Okay. Uh, I do not believe you consider yourself to be a success in life, in life, unless you've helped other people be successful in their life. I really do believe that. Yeah. Uh, you know, regardless of the context, you know, I mean, it's easy for you to see in a teaching context, but there are so many aspects of life, you know, mentoring, for example, you know, taking the time to contribute your kindness, your help, you know, to people who, you know really really could need it it's, it's just amazing it's always been amazing to me how you know small things that you do for people can you know make such an incredible difference in their lives right and these these are definitely good things and so we have here uh, i mean i'm looking at two different uh oppositional things to greed one just says good works another charity I and mean, I, I think that's absolutely right um you know, if we concluded by saying that life and else should not be a zero sum game, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on uh, to uh, well, uh, sloth. Keep. You know. This is that?
1: sort of the uh, easiest one to think about. Uh, <laughs> I mean, all of us, I think, who have done any amount of teaching, have had students who just wouldn't the work and um, you know there's different excuses and motivations for that so it's not always simply a matter of laziness but the fact is that growth requires some time and effort and just like we preach a caution against excessive you know studying there's also is a risk of of you know not studying enough, And this is particular, I think people are particularly vulnerable to this when their schedules are chaotic and they can't study regularly. And at that point, even if they are putting a lot of time and effort into the process, they're losing the gains and, you know, enough time is going by between study sessions that they can't re-engage and and capture in an effective way. And so they're just spinning their wheels over, you know, over a a disorganized uh, study schedule. But to me, that's also a kind of of sloth, a kind of laziness and unwillingness to schedule and carve out the necessary time that you need to accomplish this goal. I have so many students who start with me and drop off. It's disappointing and it's, you know, you, I, I wish they just would uh, plan better. Don't start with me. Wait until your life is ready for LSAT prep and then let's engage. Why, you know, why waste your time? Why waste your money?
2: Correct. Okay. Okay. I mean, look, it, 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 sloth manifests in lots of ways. We're not talking about the, you know, the person who sits in their beanbag chair with a beer in hand watching TV while they study. Though, of course, we should talk about that person. And that person, you know, maybe oh, they'll back their way into an LSAT score. But, you know, oh, crap. Would, <laughs> was that you? Do you yeah. have a beanbag in the living room? Oh, fantastic. <laughs> um, but but look, th- there there are varying degrees of sloth. And, and the hardest the hardest kind of laziness in this regard is the laziness that you're not willing to admit to. The ways that you cut corners in your studying, those are the ones that are really insidious. Because I can't call you out on those if you're not being honest with yourself about them, you're not going to be honest with me about them, and I'm not going to know till months later when you complain that your score hasn't gone up. And I said, well, what have you been doing? Have you really been doing the process? You know, Keith and I have a process that we... You know, ninety nine percent of the process we agree on, um, in terms of what we want our students to be doing, um, and it's not so sort you know, of like
0: you would, you're sort of living by the rule. Practice without approach is hazardous.
2: Absolutely, but but the other thing is that practice without admitting that you are not actually doing the practice, right? So many of our students will say, "Well, I'm doing, I'm doing it, I'm doing my review," and I say, "Are you, or are you pretending to do it?" Right, and are you convincing yourself that you're doing it when you're not actually doing it? It's fine to not do it. And there's there are always things, right? I've oh, I've always told my students, life comes up, and things get in the way, right? You you have a bad grade, you get in a fight with somebody, your dog dies, whatever happens. But here's the problem: the problem is things come up all the time, and if you keep making excuses for yourself about why you haven't done the fullness of the task then at some point you gotta say, look, there's a common thread here. There's a common denominator and that common denominator is me. I get that I've got stuff in my life that's getting in the way, but I have to, I can give myself permission to screw it up, but then I have to figure out a way to overcome it. Not get over it, just overcome the obstacles and start doing things in a more diligent way. So could we say uh,
0: take responsibility and hold yourself accountable? Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. It, 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 accountability is so important, right? You don't have to achieve 100% this week. And don't think, you know, we don't want to get into alienating ourselves from the work by thinking, either I have to do it 100% or I don't do it at all. No, that's not it, right? Incremental improvement. But keep your eye on many levels on your work. Keith Keith sort of had this in his, in, in the notes we were taking on this earlier, right? It's, it's a matter of being honest with what i've done in the past and what i'm doing now and what i intend to do in the future and make sure that with every step along the way that you're thinking not just about the work but you're also thinking about how you're thinking about the work about how you are approaching the work and making sure that you're making improvements there as well
0: you know these are uh you, know, you guys really are great. I really enjoy listening to you. Nice. I, I really do. No, I mean that, um, or I wouldn't do these podcasts, frankly. Okay, but um, <laughs> you know, I almost get the feeling listening to the two of you talk about this, particularly the last couple of episodes, that LSAT that people who are concerned with life prep really should just do LSAT prep because it seems to embody. You know all of these certain things. I mean, just think about how you, you can increase your tutoring market. He I mean, wouldn't say instead of saying I'm doing LSAT, he'd say I'm doing life prep. I'm preparing for a good life. Well, how are you doing that? Well, I'm preparing for the LSAT with Keith
2: and studying
1: Jake. the LSAT.
2: Absolutely. Well, look, I mean, maybe I would frame it the other way around. Maybe, maybe I would say that LSAT prep, just like any other academic pursuit is not limited to the content of the test or the content of the course or the content of the book. To do it well, you have to think about all parts of your life and get your get, get your entire house in order. We, we've got a student now. Um, he's been really working, not just on the LSAT, but on all of the peripheral things in his life that have gotten in the way of the LSAT. And he was very honest with himself a couple of months ago. He's like, I'm not in a place to do this right now. So I'm going to keep coming to free classes and I'm going to keep just sort of you know, listening in and whatever, but, but I'm not ready yet. And when I'm ready, when I get my house in order and I'm ready, then I will re-engage. And that happened about a month ago and he's re-engaged in full force. Um, and he's been very honest about the fact that like, look, not only has my life prep affected the way I'm able to engage with LSAT, but it's worked reciprocally, right? The things that I needed in order to make LSAT work, guess what, they're helping the rest of my life too.
0: I think that's true, and that's why we call this podcast LSAD Life, right? I mean, yeah. it really actually, I think, is so much more than LSAD. Right? we look at it from that point of view. Yeah, um, I agree. Oh, my God, envy. Whoa. <laughs> hey, have you ever had envy?
1: <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, you know, my, uh, the law and education are like the ultimate environments for comparison because everything has a metric it's always numerical and it is differentiated to the finest degree that the mathematics will allow and that starts with you know lsat score and it goes all the way to the highest read of uh, their earnings metrics
0: you know, we we lost you there. Could you just back up? So LSAT scores and it goes something to the highest. Can you try to reconstruct what you just said?
1: Yeah, sorry, I just said all the way up to the highest reaches. the The most prestigious law firms are compared on their uh, earnings metrics. You know, profit it, per partner, and uh,
2: yeah, and also people are keeping track of how many cases they're winning, and you know what what's my record in my cases, and it, does any of this crap matter? No, right? we. We've we've <laughs> talked about this, right? Ultimately, does it make anybody happier?
0: Well, well, Jake, never. Yes, you're you you're apparently assuming that being happy in life matters, and one of the problems people in the prep prestation stage of their lives, and I'm very serious about this, is they don't think about that at all, right? Which is why when they get on this train, uh, you know, they have they have trouble getting off. Uh, now, here's a discussion that i used to have with somebody uh, in high school Uh, and i used to say uh, you know you really need to be careful about third what i call third party validation things in life okay Mm. because uh you know there's a lot of this out there and your value as a human being and your potential for achievement and ultimately your potential for happiness is the primary goal here and not what some third party thinks about this whether it's an lsat score a human being a graduate school you know etc and this is i i think there's something about law, well in fact i know there's something about law because i lived this at a different stage in my life it's well, the whole damn thing is about some form of third party you know a valuation or validation. You know, you have to get high grades to get into law school. You need these references from professors who in general, don't care about you. They just have, to, you know, etc. You know, you've got LSAT score, uh, then, you know, you've got to get in. And then once you're in, you've got, you know, you've got the whole grading process in LSAT, which has some correlation, I think, to then getting jobs. And then, you know, you're, your entry level, whatever they're called these days, and then you want to work your way to become partner, you know, what's going to happen. Two things. The first is your life will be well on its way to over. And the second is, you will have no idea what you even like anymore. I mean, you'll completely lose yourself in the whole process. And, you know, a lot of this, uh, well, yeah, I mean, it seems to me that this is sort of a, you know, a life correlation with what we're talking about here,
2: do you think? Yeah. I, I mean, certainly on the on the broader life issue, right? There's this issue of en- envy, whether you are an undergrad right now, whether you have been out in the professional world for 10 years, but you have some dream of what it means to be a lawyer and you see people doing the thing that you want to do and you're jealous of where they've gotten and then you start creating arbitrary pathways that you believe will take you there. And then if you can't adhere to those pathways, suddenly you get all of these other sins creeping in as well. But there's also a microcosm here of Envy, which is just in the in, in this particular sort of constrained environment, where like we are prepping for the LSAT, and if you currently are scoring X, and there's somebody next to you that's scoring X plus 10, right, whatever that is, 10 points higher than you are, and you see, hey, you know they're not smarter than me, and they're not. They don't have better credentials than me, and they haven't been better trained than me. Why are they scoring ten points higher than me? I want that score. It's it's going to take you into that lust category where you start making emotional decisions about ways to change things. Yeah, and it's what I call what I call flailing. Right, we we act like Kermit the Frog with his hands up in the air just sort of going and trying anything that we can to fix the problem. And that's well, what we also- can do.
0: You know the opposite of the envy, according to this, is kindness. So I mean, if you're in an ELSA environment and somebody who you don't think is smarter than you is scoring 10 points higher, maybe you can, instead of being feeling envy, you feel kindness and say, "Oh, you know, I I feel so sorry for you getting so many more points than you actually need on this test to get in. There's so much excess baggage." <laughs>
1: We've got the we've got the opposite of as gratitude. And I think that captures it more. It's not that you uh, you know, will feel sorry for someone scoring better than you do, but you can be happy for that person.
0: Yeah. Actually, I think that gratitude is a great thing to have in life. And you know, we in the first world, I think have a lot of trouble with that. Um, you know, the problems that, you know, I think that I think I can say I don't know you that well but i mean i think i can say with confidence that your lives are generally pretty good okay you're not suffering from the kinds of problems that a lot of people in other parts of the world are that is for sure sure and uh you know i think that that's an extremely useful reminder I, you know there's there's so many people in the world who would find it comical that all these people on the internet are even worried about something like the l right yeah but, you know, we do live in North America, which I guess there's good news and bad news, you know. The good news is you're you're in North America. And the bad news is, well, you're
2: in North America, right? North America. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, um we have two more sins. We do. Choice.
1: Keith, Talk to us about what? wrath. Ooh. I I think that wrath plays out in this space, in the. Oh,
2: I think we lost Keith again
1: briefly. Pulling others down or them or um, belittling other people's efforts. I find that all to be this, you know, wrapped up in this cynicism that encompasses this high pressure environment.
0: What about lying about your LSAS scores online? <laughs> online
1: discussion forums. That's more jealousy, right? Is that wrath? Are you trying to harm? Is that a
0: yeah, I you know, an... trying to harm? I, I well, I think that for some people it's trying to harm.
2: Right. Cutting down others for the sake of building yourself up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh interesting. I, I, I think, I think it's
0: very, a... very important. And this is, you know, lately I've been, you know, reading that the group more, but I think it's it's really, really important to for people to understand. That online forums, uh, you know, uh, there's no accountability. People can say what they want. And it's always interesting to me when you look at these things, unless this has changed dramatically, that everybody who's talking, the vast majority of people who talk, seem to be doing really well. Right? I mean, you don't get a lot of people going, oh, my God, you know, I scored so poorly. But the reality is LSAT scores are normally distributed. Yeah. But for everybody who gets, say, a one- it's 120 to 180 right yeah for everybody who gets a 120 there's got to be somebody you know somebody get, same numbers getting the 180 i guess right to use you know two real extremes
2: one would presume um i mean i will say i i generally hear people most of the people talking on these forums are scoring somewhere between 140 and 160. That's the vast majority of them.
0: Well I mean that's sort of the middle class, the average range. Yeah,
2: that's your that's your one standard deviation from the mean, right? That makes sense to me. Um I think that I think the manifestation of wrath that's the that's the most critical one, it are the are the mini wraths, right? This sort of micro micro instance of wrath that happens pointed at yourself in the midst of studying. Right? God, stupid Jake, why would you even do that? Why God, you should have seen that
1: stupid question. Stupid mistake. Everything always couch. Yeah.
2: <laughs> stupid LSAC. God.
1: But people turned it inward, too. Yeah, like, uh, I... sometimes uh, someone said it in class last night. I hate to talk in class because I ask stupid questions. Ugh. Well, right. And I, I really tried to push back on it. But it's, uh, you know, it's an internal dialogue. I'm not calling it stupid.
0: I think that the way people should view this, uh, is that they should be proud. Well, at least in my life. I mean, I am so proud of how much I've accomplished given how stupid I am. Um, uh, <laughs> well, it reminds me of this great line. Uh, we're probably going back before your time, but, uh, are, are you basketball fans at all? Yeah. You, okay. So you, you, obviously you would remember Larry Bird. Of course. And of course. And you would remember, uh, god who was the guy anyway um there was this there was this incident where uh oh i don't know you know somebody was saying well you know larry bird's a great player but if he'd been this or that you know he'd just be another player so that you know so there was this press you know there's press conference over this brouhaha, and you know larry bird saying no i'm not upset about, upset about it at all in fact you know. I am so proud of how much I've accomplished, given that I can't shoot and jump, you know, and all these things. It's just simply unbelievable. <laughs> that was, you know, not only hilarious, but, you know, also so obvious when you think about it, right? I mean, you know, you look at Larry Bird, and you know, I mean, I had followed his career right from the years in Indiana State. Um, I mean, yes, he was a great player, right? But, you know. I certainly would not put him into the category where all this came naturally. I mean, I don't think he was one of these, you know, born natural athletes, at least to the nice. extent that some of the other ones were. But but main point is I'm proud of how much I've accomplished since I can't jump and shoot and stuff like that.
2: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. The, the, uh, the virtue associated with wrath is patience, right? That's exactly right. Right. So impulsivity is is the manifestation of wrath and so if we're going to fight our wrath it means we have to take a breath and say what's my opportunity here right what's my opportunity yes i'm upset that's okay right it's all about managing the emotion all of these sins are born of emotions that we can't control right and so if we have anger and we allow that anger to drive us toward bad decisions that's going to be you know, that's going to create negative results. If instead we acknowledge our anger and say, no, no, no. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to take a second and I'm going to see my opportunity here. That's yeah. the difference. You know, yeah. you, you, you talked about basketball, right? Larry Bird, the counter to that is Bill Lambeer. For those who remember, you know, basketball in the eighties. The thing about Bill Lambeer was that he would get just as angry as Larry Bird. Larry Bird was an angry player, but Larry Bird would, would, would channel it into production. Bill Lambier would just lose his mind. And that was the yeah. News. I
0: remember more than a few people who had physical encounters with Bill Lambier. <laughs> I do. Etc. What's that guy even doing now? Do you know? I mean, this
2: is a very God no. Guy. No <laughs> idea. Here, I'll look it up while you guys talk about rap. Yeah, I mean,
0: because it's interesting. I mean, people still are aware of Larry Bird and that, but you know, Lambier was a great star from the same era, but he seems to have vanished.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, he's around still what is he doing now
0: Sure, he's alive but you know some people who are not alive from that
2: era moses malone
0: yeah uh, all right interesting i mean this stuff must take a real toll uh, lambier
2: lambier coaches in the in the wnba he was the coach of the the las vegas aces mm-hmm. last cool year. yeah well that's okay. it maybe he's
0: gotten it together uh the, the, the women's league and uh what's this one Brittany? somebody what's her name Brittany this griner so isn't she detained in Russia right
1: now? She I read is.
2: It the New York Times. Yeah. Yeah that would, that would be unpleasant, wouldn't it? Yeah. Especially now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whew.
0: Okay. A mess.
2: Pride.
0: Chief. Tell us about pride.
1: This is the You had said that you think uh, you think many of the uh, high reported scores are made up. I don't. I think that a lot of them are um, born I, think from of them
0: are, I think a lot of them are accurate. What I'm saying is that there is a propensity for people to lie on discussion boards.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you have a high score, there's also a propensity to wave it around and say, look how smart I am. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Now, that actually brings my mind to a post that was up a few days ago. Do you think that there's any way, you know, I mean, do you think that your LSAT score impacts your life, you know, beyond LSAT getting into law school? I mean, there's there was some disagreement on this, you know, which surprised me. The score itself?
1: No. I've become. Yeah. I've become a lot more cynical of that over the past year as I meet students with high scores who don't think logically and... I wonder how is that possible? How can you be so good at the test and, and be so unable to articulate yourself?
0: Because they're completely different skills is the short answer. They're completely different skills and never so, you know, I think so between me.
1: I, I used the LSAT, I, I believed as a way to explore my communication skills and build them. and um, it, I find it interesting that students don't want to be able to speak intelligently about this. They really just want the score. And
0: that's what, you know, which I think validates my point that most of them just see the LSAT score as just, you know, something you need to get into law school. But what's interesting is that there are, you know, there seems to be a, a group of people who think that you know, LSAT scores will matter later in life. I mean, you know, thirty years are these people gonna be on dating sites saying, well, you know, thirty years ago my LSAT score was such and such a thing, or I mean, you know I don't
2: I don't think it's that. I I, I think that we have to say it's not the score that will matter, but how you got there. I think how you got there matters.
1: Yeah, and oh, I think if sure. you if, if you one seventy five the yeah. right yeah if you
2: did it the right way it's going to substantively impact the way that you go through law school the way that mm. you enter in the legal profession the way that you think about material because the truth is right if we're going to talk about charity if we're going to be charitable to LSAC the bar the law schools and everybody as to the purpose of the LSAT. The purpose of the LSAT is to test your reading, comprehensive, analytical, and and argumentative abilities. And if you do it the right way, you can learn those things and do well on the LSAT. You can score well on the LSAT anyway, not learning those things. But God, it would be better if you did. That's that's my that's my that's my fundamental take on the LSAT. Yeah. You know, I really got to
0: ask you based on part of what you were saying there. Uh, what are your views as we bring this to an end on this whole Tucker Carlson thing? And, uh, you know, oh, my God, the Supreme Court appointees got to show else had score. What do you think about that? <laughs>
2: dumb. It's so dumb. It's like so I, I just read a thing. Now I forget who the football player was. It was a very, very successful uh, wide receiver, I think. In the NFL for the last five years, who during the combines scored like the slowest 40 yard dash, the low, the, 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 like the worst in weightlifting, the worst vertical jump in the history of the combine. And he has like led the league in receiving yards and blah, 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 blah. So the question is. Are we going to misunderstand the the statistics of LSATs and their distributions? To say that LSAT scores correlate with success entirely, or to say, look, what matters is what happens on the other side, and maybe the LSAT has a high probability of informing that. But you can't extrapolate to every case that way. Right? And so I don't I don't know what this woman's LSAT scores are. I presume they're pretty high, given the fact that she went to Harvard, but they may not be. But does that matter given 10 years, 20 years, 30 years of experience? Because that experience matters a whole lot more than where she went to law school and what she got on a test.
1: Well, what do you think on that, Keith? Oh, it's, I mean, it's the butt of a joke. It was so absurd for, for for becoming from, you know, who said it and who he said it about and the insignificance of what he was asking for, I mean, the only that's why it's become a thing, because it was so stupid. And I find it to be, the, you know, like the best thing that could have happened as a, an LSAT tutor so that we can uh, say to people, hey, see, LSAT scores really do matter, even for a Supreme Court justice.
2: <laughs> yeah, sure. Dr. Said <laughs> I, I it thought it was true. a very
0: interesting uh, discussion, actually. Um, but what I am surprised nobody got into the discussion was this. And this brings us back to LSAT preparation. Uh, is that this woman apparently was a champion debater in high school
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I I'm only recently uh I never knew anything about debating at all until a couple months ago I, I met somebody who was a champion debater and learned a little bit about it but apparently you know the way debating works if I've got this correct is that you know you have to respond you know, to, to you know so if we're having a debate i say something you say something we recognize the disagreement and then i work on that and you work on that and gradually you know there's sort of a redefining and you know a real understanding of, of what the arguments are and you know i thought my god i mean i couldn't imagine a better form of lsaf prep you know than trying to you know get in and understand how these arguments are structured uh,
2: it's it's almost as like you've been listening in on my class for the last three three weeks. This is what I talk about when I talk about LR. Picture yourself behind the lectern at a debate tournament. You've been given an issue. You take a stand, right? Yeah. This is right. how I feel about this issue, and here's my evidence. Very interesting because, uh,
0: you know, I read that. This is another, I mean, just go to the New York Times and just, you know, search a few articles about her. But that was the one I actually found the most interesting of all because, you know, I looked at that and I thought, wow, you know, I mean, leaving aside what she's been doing since, uh, you know, that is pretty, pretty strenuous exercise and development, right? In you know, understanding and being able to respond to various arguments. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, my there was the other aspect of it, which I thought was interesting was, uh, you know, it seems to me, the real issue is whether she's an appropriate choice in any case. You know, I don't know how you define best choice or whatever this stuff is supposed to mean. But, you know, I mean, she's at least, at least as qualified, at least as the last four appointees, at least. Sure. Sure. And
2: probably more so. Well, it it
0: looks to me, well, if you define a wider range of experience in that sense, I think probably, yes, I, I presume that's what you mean yeah you know at yeah. least in part i would agree with you on that i mean none of those other uh, uh you know i mean who do we have so we have uh kavanaugh, kavanaugh we have uh how do you pronounce gorush or something we have Gorsuch. Yeah. yeah coney coney barrett we have a and we have elaine kagan, kagan
1: right yeah
0: and you know though i think i mean i think they're all superbly qualified in their own in their own ways right i mean you know they're sure. different but I don't believe there's a single one of them that has the the range of experience that that this this new point has and i think that matters uh, you know particularly when i mean you know, i'm presuming that any rational mind on this would you know want people who were engaged in intelligent discussion rather than uh you know partisan bickering you know etc cetera, et cetera. so i mean i think she was uh, a very good choice maybe by accident that's possible all right but i think a very good choice regardless
1: i agree
2: yeah I, I do too and and the degree to which we can measure her against other people is sort of immaterial right the, there there's a there's a, a wealth of people out in the world that that a president could nominate and you choose people that are deeply qualified that you believe in and you know everybody has pasts and faults and involvements and other things. But, you know, the degree to which we have a metric, here's our metric, and she scores highly on all of them.
0: Uh, You know, absolutely. I mean, the worst you could say about her is that she'd be, you know, if you were to say, put together five considerations, right, you know, five general qualities. I mean, the worst thing you can say about her is she probably would score second on all five, right, as opposed (laughs) to first. I mean, that's the worst thing you could say, right?
2: Sure, yeah.
0: And uh I don't know my experience in life is you're far better off being number two in a lot of areas than number one in just a few. yeah but but
2: who knows maybe she is number one in all of them
0: anyway. I mean the whole discussion was I mean it was it was
2: surreal. Oh, it's inane. Uh-huh. It's inane and and look, you know if we're, we're gonna bring this back to pride, right one of the one of the great faults. From Tucker Carlson is this belief that somehow he has credentials that other people don't, and that those credentials give him the ability or the right to opine on whatever subject he wants. This is not something he's qualified to talk about Where or understand. Where come from anyway? I, I know nothing about him. Where does he? Oh, he came from immense wealth. Um, you know, he was a you know a private school kid through and through, and was you know I can't I can't talk to whether or not he showed any actual intellectual or academic abilities but like there's a there's sort of a problematic take on the world where he just sort of believes that he has this position on high where well you come
0: from immense wealth you're in a very defensive mindset i think right because you see everybody in the world is kind of trying to take it from you but you know the best thing about me is i've never had immense wealth i've never had any
1: (laughs) but i have no (laughs) thing about me
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. This has really been a great discussion. So I think closing, uh, perhaps a couple comments correlating the seven deadly sins with perhaps the seven habits of fi- uh, highly effective LSAT takers, etc. Final thoughts on this?
2: Go ahead, Keith.
1: You know, one of the things I'll say is that um, having a picture is a good checkup. Ah you some me. of these yeah. because um, someone who watches you objectively, you know, can give you a little more honest advice about what you're doing.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. I think having having a, an objective source, whether it's a tutor or, or whoever, I think is is critical. And I think that plays into that last virtue, opposite humility uh, opposite pride is humility, right? And having the humility to say, I'm not in a position where I can be, uh, objective about my own habits and my own viewpoints and my own perspectives, but rather I need to, you know, think that I have the opportunity to grow and become better um, and adopt new habits and change and grow. I think, you know, this This, this all comes back to growth mindset and understanding that, you know, my, my job is not to prove how smart I am or prove what score I can get, but rather to grow. Um, and in so doing, I have to say there's always an opportunity, whether whether you are, you know, 20 years in the business of teaching, you know, Keith and I learn new stuff every day, both from each other and from the work we do by ourselves. And so if that's true for us, I can say with supreme confidence, it is true for all ULSAT takers out there. No matter how well you're scoring, there's an opportunity to do better and to learn better. And that starts with humility. Agreed. Yeah, I think that's that's interesting. Uh final question. I'm just gonna run
0: through these, the you know, the sin, the opposite, the virtue. But one the question I want to ask you is are the virtues the seven habits of highly effective LSAT test takers that we talked about before? Probably are. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty I don't know. they probably are. We'll have to check. Yeah, that'd be interesting. No, I... But here we go. No. The sin and the opposite. So lust. Well, here they have chastity. Gluttony, opposite temperance, greed, opposite charity, sloth, opposite diligence, envy, opposite kindness, wrath, opposite patience, patience. Oh, it's so important in life, okay? And pride, opposite humility. So great discussion. Hope all listeners, hope this helps you become better else at Tagers, but more importantly, better in life generally. So, thanks, Keith and Jake. And where would people get in touch with you if they want to improve mainly their lives? And, you know, if they're interested in helping <laughs> that, yeah, well, then
2: too. Uh, you can always find me at Nexus Academics um, or at uh, triple review. Online, um and always on the Facebook groups as well.
1: Yeah, we're trying to migrate everything over to triple review. online, so you can find our free pro bono classes there and our low cost subscription there as well
0: all right and i'm john richardson and uh i'm actually just not involved in lsat but please join the facebook lsat group at what is it facebook.com groups lsat study group all right well this has been great thanks so much thanks john thank you